Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to this episode with Dr. Peter Levine on what professionals need to know about the chronic freeze response. This episode is broken into four sections, and if you think you know how to recognize the freeze response, this episode is going to blow your mind. If you're new to the chronic freeze response, this is going to establish a great foundation for you to go into it with the right understanding. The concepts in this episode were crucial to my seeing freeze response patterns in myself and my patients and have become central to the whole model of the biology of trauma. In section one, you will learn what therapists need to know about their clients becoming addicted to the chronic freeze response. In section two, what therapists need to value about the freeze response. Section three, how to reset addiction patterns. And section four, what most professionals still misunderstand about memory and body memory specifically. Following along with the four sections of this episode, you are going to hear a powerful story from Melanie, a practitioner in my 21-day journey community. Her experience with the freeze response and as a result of using the tools, had a very different experience through breast cancer than most. My name is Melanie. And I am in Berkeley, California. I am a mental health practitioner, a psycho-spiritual counselor, and I am a mother of a wonderful 10-year-old daughter. And I have a partner who is a lovely man and a teacher, uh, a high school teacher. What overall looked like for me was, it all started for me when I uh, became a new mother. I had a pretty traumatic transition into motherhood, there was a lot of anxiety. I had, a, I didn't even know postpartum anxiety was a thing, but I had it and I had it a lot. And, um, you know, we were in a moldy apartment and I didn't know it. So I think my husband was maybe going through grad school at the time and becoming a teacher. It was just, it was very, and we were in a, um, a very, the outskirts of San Francisco and it was just, I was so isolated and I had a lot of rage, which is not something you hear a lot about with the new mothers. <laughs> it feels pretty taboo, actually, even to say it now um, that I was like an angry new mom. I was completely loving to my daughter. There was no issue there. It was just the having to tend to her every need when I felt like falling apart was just really brutal. And I have a lot of hypervigilance as a result of, you know, kind of a difficult childhood that many of us have experienced. And so I think the hypervigilance added with, you know, having to watch your child every and take care of their every need. And, you know, now we don't live in communities where grandma can come over or auntie can come over or any of that. I just did what I always did before that, which was push through and push through and push through. And so I continued to try to push through and I did. <laughs> I think a lot of people would have maybe ended up in complete depression, but it didn't feel like an option. And so the pushing through actually led me to feel really angry. And so there was a lot of rage and a lot of tantrums, almost mommy tantrums with my partner. So I wondered, is it possible that people could actually become addicted to the emotional release itself. 
wow. even addicted to the emotions because they possibly stimulated the same system. So I excitedly called up my brother. Remember, this is way before iPhones and such. And uh, I said, John, is it possible that emotional pain and physical pain are very similar in the brain? And he, he said, because this was the common wisdom at the time, no, they're entirely different. Right. So then, of course, as research continued, uh, many people, and he, not many people, but a number of researchers, as well as John, were realizing that the emotional pain and the physical pain are very simple, very similar. Simple. Mm-hmm. And that the endogenous opioid, oh, let me go on with the, with the experiment here. I, I left out an important part. So let's just say 60% of the people had, had significant pain relief. So then he told them the same message. You know, this is going to be a very powerful pain relieving medicine. And then they were administered naloxone. And then the placebo effect disappeared. It was virtually completely gone. And for so those who makes, don't know what naloxone is, naloxone is a blocker of the opiate receptor. Mm-hmm. Correct. And if, if somebody overdoses, I guess you know very well, they come into the emergency room. If they believe they're overdosing, mm-hmm. they'll give them an injection of naloxone and boom, they'll be stone sober and very angry. Yes. And in full-blown withdrawals if they've taken opiates. That's right. So again, the opiates are meant to work internally. Mm-hmm. And they have their own wisdom, their own function, their own survival mm-hmm. value. But if you just keep pumping them in from the outside, that's when the addiction occurs. Yes. So, again, this chronic freeze response, which includes probably dissociation, that in a way, people can become even addicted to that. And therapists need to, need to appreciate that, that possibility. I use anger as a way to stop everything, stop the stress. And I think I did become addicted to that because it was like not addicted to like the feeling of power that it gave me because it brought me a great deal of shame is really what it brought me. But it did allow me to have a control over my environment, which unfortunately was also my husband and my daughter. And so I personally was using it as yeah, a release, but also a relief from continued stressors that might be at play with the people in my environment, particularly my daughter and my husband. The rage piece. Well, the rage piece was scary to me because I never wanted to harm the people in my life. I knew what it felt like to be harmed in that way through criticism and just outbursts. And I never wanted to do that to the people in my life. So I felt a lot of shame and guilt around just acting out in ways that had harmed me when I was a child. And so I knew I had to get help. I found a depth hypnosis practitioner, which I was like, I don't know what that means. But a depth hypnosis practitioner is somebody who does, it's psycho-spiritual counseling, really. So it involves spiritual element as well as the mental emotional piece. She was amazing. And she helped me really, really tend to the parts of myself that were still hurting, you know, from childhood and take some of the relief and the release out of that. It is true that so often our motivation for change 
comes from seeing the effect that we are having on someone else, an effect we don't want to have, especially on our children. Isn't this fascinating about an addiction to emotional releases and even an addiction to the chronic freeze response? So what is this freeze response even for? What purpose does it serve in our biology? Melanie has actually already given us glimpses into the purpose, glimpses into her childhood and even the different parts of her that were still hurting. And in this next section, we look at why someone would become addicted to the freeze response. Freud's definition of trauma, what Peter Levine would change about that definition, and the role of early attachment in freeze response, and specifically how therapists need to appreciate the value of the freeze response. There's some comfort to living in a freeze state, right? Because there is this numbed feeling to life's pain. And this is where many people are at when life becomes overwhelming, it becomes too much. Even just this morning, I'm thinking of a mom that I was working with and I just had her do a simple somatic exercise of pushing away something. And immediately she had this impulse to curl up into a ball and cry. And it's like, yeah, like that's how strong the pull is towards the freeze response when we're constantly living, not only in stress, but we've gone beyond the point of stress into that overwhelm and that freeze response. That's right. Freud, before he got off the rails and went on with the Oedipal thing, he defined trauma is a breach in the protective barrier against stimulation leading to feelings of overwhelming helplessness. I would only add one thing to that because it was a really a very fine definition. Trauma is a breach in the protective barrier against overstimulation, mm-hmm. leading to feelings of overwhelming helplessness. Right. And that's that shutdown state, that dissociated mm-hmm. state. And again, it's a very biological state. It serves tremendous function. And with people who have had early trauma, it serve the survival value without that people, you know, may not have survived. So it's important to to really value that in the person's behavior and in their emotional range and so forth. Some of the coping mechanisms that I used were, I would have to put her down and walk away, even though she was upset, which, you know, not great for her nervous system, but I just couldn't have her in my arms anymore. I just couldn't do it. And so that was like a coping mechanism was to kind of do that and walk away for like five seconds. It's all I could handle really. And then come back and get her. But there was just a lot of loneliness. The anxiety was fuel. I was using it to prevent feeling and collapsing into any sort of depression because my father growing up, and he was an alcoholic again, and just depressed. And so I just had like an aversion not to people who are depressed, but just for myself. And so I use anxiety to, you know, fuel myself. So I will keep doing whatever it is I need to do. And that's kind of the energy that I run. Mm, That freeze response has value, even though it comes at a cost. And what you just heard from Melanie, the things we use to prevent ourselves from feeling the freeze response, that's what we need to be paying attention to. What we use to not feel the collapse, the shame, the heaviness, the freeze response. This is a critical concept to the biology of trauma and recognizing the freeze response in yourself and others. In this next section, you are going to learn about how to reset the addiction systems, even addictions to emotional releases, through the world and wisdom of internal sensations. 
Melanie is going to start talking about her experience with breast cancer and how she was able to apply the wisdom of her body's internal sensations that you will learn in this section to have a very different experience than what she expected. One of the things that brought me to Dr. Amy's courses was also that I was going through breast cancer at the time, you know, it's like I chose my team or whatever, but there's moments of doubt throughout the whole process and being able to like anywhere I'm laying on a radiation table, you know, and before they start doing the work, you know, I can put my hand over my heart right there. And it was so incredibly grounding to have that tool at my disposal and to know that if I was starting to feel panicked or whatever, I could just look around the room. When we're able to tune into our bodies, usually with the help of a practitioner, then we find an entire whole world, no, an entire universe inside internal sensations. And when we're able to enter those sensations, feel those sensations, they often give us very subtle movements. You were talking about a client of yours that was working with about pushing something away. Well, yes, that's really important because, you know, if we've been overwhelmed, we haven't been able to stop something. So all of these movements have their internal wisdom. And again, that's something that's not addictive. That Mm -hmm. really, again, works to reset some of these systems. Mm -hmm. So I'll often use a series of exercises, again, to help the person contact their internal sensations and just to notice when a slight subtle movement begins and to help guide the person in those movements. And so having tools like this that I can just you know, it takes five seconds to tap into. It's really like not, a, you don't have to do this whole spiritual, emotional, grounded, whatever. I mean, it helps to, you know, get centered, but these tools have just been so amazing. Yeah. And like I said, I use them with my daughter who is a highly sensitive child and healing her. I can't tell you how important it is to me to help heal her nervous system mothers and daughters, excuse me, mothers and children are so intertwined. Their nervous systems are so intertwined. And I was a mess when I first had her and that's no judgment on myself, right? Like that part of me, who I was then was suffering so deeply. And to be able to have tools now that I can kind of walk it back with her. It's everything. It's everything. I can hear the heart of a mom as Melanie talks about having tools to help her daughter and that being everything for her. What Melanie is doing to use the tools to help her daughter now is so crucial because of the concept you will learn in this next section, which is what most professionals still misunderstand about the body and the difference between explicit and implicit memory. The body has memories, not just the mind. All of our experiences get recorded by the body and can generate a biology of trauma when there has been something like, well, what Melanie describes as the perfect storm for her. You know, I had done so much spiritual work and so much nutritional work and all of these elements were all in place and I had a beautiful care team and all that was going on for me. And I just knew in my heart of hearts that there was something more to this breast cancer situation and that it was the result. I feel, still feel very strongly. It's the 
result of a perfect storm of like mold and stress and whether coming through from childhood, but also through my initiation into motherhood, which didn't, you know, go as I had hoped or planned. I knew that there was stuff trapped in the body. I'd read enough of the books and, you know, uh, the body keeps the score and, and all that. And I knew that there was just another element. And so I went online and was looking up, you know, how to heal your nervous system and somatic. And then Dr. Amy popped up and the 21 day journey to calm aliveness. And, you know, I was like, oh, calm aliveness. That sounds really nice. Let's do that. So I signed up for her course and I still use, I mean, I took that course and got so much out of it. I was telling everyone, all of my clients, you need to go take this course. You need to go take this course because, you know, we live in these bodies and we don't even consider them so often. Right. And they're like lashing out and yelling out like, Hey, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. And we really just don't. There are basically two systems of memory, those that are explicit and those that are implicit. And there's a lot of misunderstanding, even of professionals, about the difference between these two systems. The explicit systems involve declarative memory. So I had to remember that I had this event with you at 11 o'clock and how to turn my computer on and so forth. That's all declarative memory. Then there's another form of explicit memory, but it's less conscious. It's called episodic or autobiographical memory. Then there's a whole strata below that, implicit memory, and those involve emotional memories and procedural memories. So for example, we may meet somebody and all of a sudden we have this strong, strong emotion. Where did that come from? It just came like out of the blue, seemingly out of the blue. Well, no, that is an emotional memory that's being evoked that may is devoid of content, but then kind of exists in its own capsule, continuing to influence and affect the person. Then there are the procedural memories, and those are the so-called body memories. So, for example, somebody who has had sexual trauma, when they're touched by a caring partner, all of a sudden they retract and they feel maybe nauseous, and they just can't go on. And that makes them feel so horrible because they know this person cares about them and loves them, yet they react as though they're threatening that, their own life. And they're and not they, able to control that body reaction. No, it just happens. And those are what are called procedural or body memories. And uh, all of our pre-verbal trauma are encoded in those kind of systems, the procedural systems. I know there was so much confusion about this that my most recent book is specifically about that. It's trauma and memory, brain and body in a search for the living past. Mm -hmm. So really how we work therapeutically with these different memory systems. And just for the audience who may not be familiar as much with your work up until now, the trauma is stored in the nervous system, right? Like the trauma is not actually in the event. It's no. in the nervous system and it causes this dysregulation of the nervous system. And right. that's a form of defining trauma is seeing that the body has not been able to fully return back to a healthy homeostasis regulated state. 
it leaves these implicit memories in the nervous system that are going to be uncontrollable on a conscious level because they're, they're such strong survival instincts that the brain and the nervous system take over in those moments. Yeah, yeah. You hit it right on the head when you said regulation. And again, that's one of the key features of somatic experiencing to help people work to regulate themselves. Because when we can't regulate ourselves, then we look for an outside substance or person or behavior that, that seems a little bit like it's regulating, but it's not. Right. But at least it seems that way. That's really important in working with addictive process is to help people learn how to begin to self-regulate. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, the trauma is not in the event. The events happened a long time ago. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. You may not even have memory of the event. Well, except for the uh, implicit memories. Mm -hmm. Right. So again, when we work with these early imprints, we can then again help the person internally regulate. Mm -hmm. And that really is where things turn around. So what I'd like to say to uh, anyone who is in my position or any parts of the story that resonate with you is that, you know, you are not the problem. You are not a problem. And if you find yourself, you know, having anger issues, lashing out, you're hurting people or you're hurting yourself, just, we always say this in our house is that hurt people hurt people. And knowing that any um, difficult emotions or emotional states that you might be having, it's not a representation of who you are. That is not who you are at your core. It's a trauma response. And so just like I did and so many other people taking courses like Dr. Amy's courses can really help you get the tools that you need and the awareness that you need and and the compassion that you need. Everyone's talking about self-compassion. You should have self-compassion. It was so frustrating that term just to frustrate me. Like, what does that mean? It's like yoga, like go do yoga. Yoga is great. But what does that mean? How is that the solution for everything? And it's not, it's just one. And this has been an amazing tool for me. And I really deeply encourage you to do the same because you deserve it. You do deserve it. In this episode, I took sections of my interview with Dr. Peter Levine to share important concepts with you, things you aren't being taught elsewhere, but are essential to recognizing the biology of trauma. In section one, we talked about an addiction to emotional releases Section two, the value of the freeze response in relationship to overstimulation. Section three, the world and wisdom of our internal body sensations. And section four, the difference between memories in your mind and the memories in your body. And what a beautiful story from Melanie that many of us can relate to different pieces of it. And I want to leave you with hope because whatever has been your past, Whatever memories are stored in your body of what your body has gone through, there are tools. Change is possible. Breaking the family generational trauma can end with you. And you can even help your kids undo some of the effects that have already passed on to them. And you can go through really hard times in life and not go into that overwhelmed place because you have tools. If you don't have tools yet, I invite you to join me for a 21-day journey, a journey into your body, into your nervous system, truly a journey to calm aliveness. Thank you for joining me for this podcast episode with Dr. Peter Levine on what professionals need to know about the chronic freeze response. 
Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey, and you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.